0: Um, So, we are starting a series today on what we call the five I's, uh, the five values of Oasis Church Waterloo. If you've been around for a long time, then it's possible that you think you've probably heard a lot about this. But if you haven't been around for the last couple of years or only been around for the last couple of years, I'm not sure how explicitly we've talked about them. This is always the tension that we find ourselves in all the time. We want to be sure that we're talking about them quite a lot because these are the values that underpin everything we do in the church. But equally, you don't want the kind of old stagers, the old timers sitting there thinking, Oh my word, not the five eyes again. I've heard this so many times. And then spending the whole morning checking Facebook. Um, I know that I am guilty of that. Uh, I've been part of this church for seven and a bit years, I've been on the leadership team for five. And I've been working for the church for three years, and this feels a bit like a public confession, but there are some times when some people in this church will stand up and start telling stories, and I will think, I've heard these before, Steve. Um, But And then I will switch off a bit. But I would implore you this morning that if that is you, um, a couple of things. Hopefully I've got something new to say, but secondly, as I said earlier, I'm only speaking for 15 minutes, so I'll try and be short. Um, So let's get on with it. Um, We're looking at intimacy. It is one of our five values. I'm not sure how clear that is, but um, hopefully that will make it a little bit more clear. But when I think of intimacy with God, the first thing, as a good Baptist evangelical boy, my first thought is this, the quiet time the dreaded quiet time Um, the church that I was brought up in uh, this was the way that you developed intimacy with God for those of you who weren't brought up in the church all this is is a phrase given to the idea that um, you split away some time in your day that you park just for reading your Bible or meditating or praying or something like that. And that's what you have to do to be a good Christian and to get closer to God. Um, They felt like there was a bit of pressure on you to make sure you'd always done your quiet time, which for me was a difficult thing. I have the attention span of a toddler, a particularly inattentive toddler who has just consumed a whole packet of Haribo Tangfastics. So for me, the idea of sitting in a room with my Bible for half an hour, praying or reading it or doing whatever, was really difficult. I would sit there with my Bible, and I'm thinking about rugby. No, I've got to read this Bible. I've got to read this passage. I've got to... That poster on my wall isn't completely straight. I must sort the poster out now as a matter of urgency. I once tidied my whole room when I was a teenager, procrastinating from doing my quiet time. I am sure that if my parents were aware of this, they would have encouraged me to do my quiet time a lot more. But the worst thing I always found growing up about the quiet time was the guilt. Oh, the guilt that came when you hadn't done your quiet time, when you'd put the half an hour in your calendar, but instead of doing that, you'd just carried on playing FIFA on your Mega Drive. Yes, that's how old I am. Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER Or the worst thing you could possibly do, you would turn off the Mega Drive. You'd sit down, you'd spend most of that half an hour thinking about the hot girl in your history class. Oh, the guilt that came with the quiet time. Um, And that's what intimacy with God meant to me. It meant failure. It meant looking at the other people in my church and thinking about how much better they were doing at being Christians than I was. I was sure everybody else was doing it. I was sure I was the only person who struggled with it. I was sure that that was the reason that my friends were carrying on, going out, drinking, doing all the other things, rather than beating my door down, trying to find out how they could follow Jesus better. I was sure it was because I couldn't keep to my quiet time. I couldn't keep to the stupid quiet time schedule for more than one stupid day. And that's what I thought. I could just about cope with two days sometimes if it was going really well. But it was always a struggle. Um, A few years ago, Rachel, my sister, and I were going through my parents' attic and trying to get rid of a lot of the rubbish that had accumulated there over the years. And she started laughing at something. I said, what are you laughing at? And she threw me this notepad, and I caught it. And the notepad looked pristine, looked like no one had touched it. And I opened it, and it had two words written in my handwriting at the top of the first page. And as I flicked through, I realized that these were the only two words written in the entire notepad. Book and those two words were revision timetable. (laughs) That was me as a teenager, just like the quiet times, the best of intentions, and an absolute failure to follow through on them. Uh, Before we move on, though, I want to make you aware I'm not belittling the value of spending time with God it is true that I've struggled with it and continue to struggle with it over the years but I tell these stories to hopefully encourage others of us who also struggle rather than to say that that isn't a valid way to spend your time if you are the kind of person who's able to carve out time in your calendar to read the Bible or pray, and you find that this is an effective way to develop intimacy with God, then obviously that is a great thing. Uh, Earlier this week, I spoke to Jill as part of the church team here who has done a lot of work on trying to flesh out these values. Um, And one of the things that we talked about was the value of spending time with someone to cultivate a relationship be that your relationship with God, your spouse, your good friends, or whoever. It made me think of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine when Sarah, my oldest daughter, was born. Um, I had a bit of a crazy job at the time, and I was having to leave the house at seven at the latest every morning, the absolute latest, and I was very rarely home before, kind of quarter past, half past seven at night, and I was concerned that how was I going to find the time to develop a relationship with my daughter when I was out of the house for a good 13, 14-hour chunk every day? And I spoke to my friend Paul, and Paul lives outside of London, but his job is in London, and he has a couple of days a week where he's at home, and a couple of days a week where he's in the office in London, and stays overnight in London. And I chatted to him about it, and he said, for me, the thing is about staying present. He said, I'm not always around But what I try to make sure is that when I am around, I am fully present. So when I get home after a couple of days in London, I turn my phone off, I turn the TV off, I talk to my kids, I ask them questions about their day. I am fully present with them. I am fully concentrating with them. I am in the moment with them. I can see that there's a lot of truth in that. That's... A great way of developing a relationship with your kids when you're away for a few days, isn't it? And the same applies to cultivating a close, intimate relationship with God. When you do find the time, be fully present. Turn your phone off. Take yourself away from the distractions. That's how you cultivate a relationship. Anyway, let's talk about this morning's Bible reading. Rebecca read to us from Matthew 22, 34 to 40, the bit where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. one of the interesting things about this passage is how direct Jesus is in his answer. According to the reliable research source, The Internet, I am told that Jesus is asked 183 questions in the Gospels, and only three does he give a direct answer to. Generally, he responds with a question, or with a parable that 2,000 years later we're still trying to work out what he actually meant. But this one is a direct response. There's no ambiguity here. There's no, but what does that mean? It's a straightforward answer. Theologians say that this answer is the reason why the idea of love is so prevalent in early Christian teaching. 1 Corinthians 13, which is read at thousands and thousands of wedding ceremonies every year, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Theologians you know say these verses would probably not have been written were it not for this answer in Matthew. It's also interesting to look at where the answer comes from. Proper theologians will tell you that a great way to study the Bible properly is to look at the principle of first mention, to look at something particularly in the New Testament and find out where that concept was first mentioned. Um, And there's two different things here. The first is the first section, which is love the Lord your God. That is taken from Deuteronomy. And the interesting thing is that it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, The reason that this is interesting is that Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. So the Pharisees would have been expecting Jesus to pick one of the ten. We know these are the Ten Commandments, the ten rules to live by. But Jesus avoids the do nots and goes for a positive one. This is interesting because the way that the Pharisees ran religion in those days, it was all about rules and regulations. The heart behind the Ten Commandments had been lost somewhere along the line, and it was just about following the rules. Do not do this, do not do that, do not kill, do not commit adultery. Jesus ignores all that and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second half comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Here are some other verses from Leviticus chapter 19. Do not rob or take advantage of anyone. Do not hold back the wages of someone that you have hired. Do not curse the deaf. Do not show favoritism. Do not spread lies. Don't bear a grudge. Don't crossbreed domestic animals. And so on and so on and so on. But Jesus, again, picks the positive. He ignores the do-nots for another quote about love. What he's saying is... My way, my yoke, is not about legalism. It's not about following the laws. It's not about following the rules. It's not about making sure that you ticked all the boxes. It's about more than that. It's about love. It's not about did you manage to keep your half an hour quiet time every day. It's do you love God and do you love your neighbor? And how are you showing that? For me, one of the reasons that these verses sum up the first of these values is that they talk about an inner journey and an outer journey. Um, Earlier this week, I was also speaking to Danielle, who's also on the leadership team here, and has also done a lot of work in trying to work out how we talk about these five eyes. And one of the things that we were talking about was the idea that each of our values have a core belief about ourselves and God, and then they unpack what they mean in practice. I'll show you what I mean. This is the value that we're talking about this morning, intimacy with God. There's a core value, our inner journey. We believe that we are created for a relationship with God. And there's the outer journey. We are called to reflect this through every part of our lives in our habits and our actions as we follow and serve Jesus day by day, as well as through our regular worship together. An inner journey. And an outer journey. And the same applies to the rest of them as well involvement, inclusion, (coughs) interdependence, and influence. I'm sure we'll have more on that in the next few weeks. But I think what I've talked about here is almost part of the problem. Because the tendency can be to split ourselves into two camps. There's the person over here who likes the intimacy, close personal relationship with Jesus, gets on with the quiet time, likes the spiritual stuff. And then in this camp over here, you've got the activist, the person who goes out and does stuff. And I have definitely been guilty of that over the years. Because I didn't get on with the spiritual stuff over here, the quiet time stuff, I completely rejected that stuff. And I threw myself totally into this camp over here. I was going to volunteer at the local prison. I was going to drive vans to Romania because I am an activist. I am in this camp over here. And the problem is that we can split these up, can't we? We can split up the inner journey and the outer journey. So for a while, my response to struggling with the idea of a quiet time was basically to ignore the idea of intimacy with God. But I wonder whether this is the crux of the issue. Because I think there's a third way. I think it's often when we serve one another that we find Christ. It's in the serving that we develop the intimacy. A few weeks ago I spoke here about the Debt Advice Centre that we run and I talked about how when a new client comes in for the first time, if you're their advisor, that first meeting is more pastoral than it is anything else. They don't, at that point, want your help with their debt so much as they want to know that you're on their side. They want you to listen to their story and they want you to understand why you've come into that place. The debt advisor in that role is the pastor. You learn intimacy through serving. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in our food bank and I've started chatting to the clients. And the clients come in and you are burning, burning with anger because of the story that they're telling you and why they've ended up in this position. And I have often gone away, and I am recommitting myself to serving in the way that I do, recommitting myself to trying to end this injustice that's led this lady to this point. When you serve, you develop the intimacy. One more Bible reading to end. Earlier I mentioned that the first time that the words, love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength are mentioned is in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. But I didn't mention the verses after that. Deuteronomy six, six to nine say this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And on your gates. If ever we wanted an example of how the inner and outer journeys about intimacy with God are all the same thing, read these verses. God's words should be on our hearts and on our hands. We talked about them at home in our quieter times, and we talk about them on the road when we're out in the community. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. And tell the world, write them on the door frames of your houses. There is no divide between the inner journey and the outer journey. It's all the same journey. It's all about us, on our own and in community. Finding out how we can find out more about this God who wants to know us intimately. And how we get changed by that. So that we can change this community. Let's pray. Lord, that we would live lives so intimately close to you that we reflect your love through every part of our lives in our habits and our actions as we follow and serve you day by day. Amen.